Hello and welcome to episode 196 of What Most People Think. And if this is the first time you're listening to it, uh, it's just a podcast really that comes at political, uh, cultural and social issues from a slightly different angle to what comedy normally does. That was well that was well phrased, Jeff, for a guy that writes for a living, speaks for a living and used to be an English teacher. Uh, so yeah, we've got a great guest this week, Diona Doherty uh, from Northern Ireland, brilliant comic. She's been in Derry Girls. Uh, she's a brilliant stand-up. She's a... a She's one of the regulars on The Blame Game as well, the panel show that is uh, incredibly popular in Northern Ireland. So we'll be speaking to her. But we also catch up on things as well. I did a hosted, um, I presented an award at the BAFTA Crafts. And a lot of people said, what, the BAFTA Crafts? Yeah. The, <laughs> imagine the BAFTA Crafts. Loads of dogs coming up and getting speeches. You know, when I first became a Cocker Spaniel, everyone said to me, you know, you'll never make it. But then I started humping someone's leg and uh, I knew I'd... I knew I'd arrived. Um, it was the BAFTA Crafts. Now, I guess if you wanted to be mean-spirited, you could call it the Baby BAFTAs, the Diet BAFTAs. But what it is, it's for the, the the technical stuff, the writing, the hair, the makeup, you know, all these things that are actually incredibly fucking important. But the truth is, when they put them in the overall TV thing, it makes it run at about four hours. So they, they sort, of, sort of doing separately. And um, I was presenting the Hair and Makeup Award, which I, Rachel Paris, my uh, former MASH Report colleague, uh, Pointed out was a weird one. Um, I went out. I went, got there. The food was lovely. Uh, it's all very, you know, it's all very lovely, darling. You know, there was a bit of that going on. Um, but you have to accept that. That's the world you're in. I wouldn't expect them to come to football and suddenly going. Why is everyone calling that guy with a flag a wanker? Um, but the food was very nice. But it was middle class lovely. And by that I mean it wasn't enough of it. You know, there's a couple of bits of chicken and some weird potato that was formed into a rectangle. Um, so afterwards, I went to get, I went to the Tesco Express and got myself a prawn mayonnaise sandwich. And um, it was only when I looked up, you know, at the till now they've got the camera, which shows yourself. I just, I, I hadn't thought about the fact I was wearing a, a tuxedo and uh, looked, it looked very incongruous. I, <laughs> I didn't think about what I looked like. I thought, Jesus Christ, it's almost like coming out of here going, please mug me, please mug me in London on a cold Sunday night. So we will be catching up before that on a couple of the big news things. Obviously, Diane Abbott has put her, <laughs> her size nines or size million, nine millions. There you go. It's an old Diane, Diane Abbott numbers joke there. Uh, we'll be speaking about that um, and also how certain people respond to St. George's Day. Uh, but before that, we've got some new patrons to welcome. So if you want to support this show and keep it weekly and ad free, you notice that there was no pre-roll advert. There was no there wasn't me just suddenly out of nowhere going, hmm, I'm just eating these these new snacks and they're called um they're called reindeer poo, which is a really funny name. But it's because they're tiny protein balls that are shaped like reindeer poo. And when I eat one, I feel full up for hours. Reindeer poo. So you never get anything like that on this podcast and I get no oversight. I don't have to explain, you know, not that I have like loads of controversial guesses, but I've got complete creative freedom. That also means that I have to <laughs> book the guest, record it and edit it myself. Um, but if you want to be part of that, if you like the way this show is put together, you can go to Patreon. Just type in Jeff Norcott and what most people think and you can enjoy. You can join at a number of levels, but whatever level you join, you will immediately get, immediately get access to jo- uh, watch my last free comedy specials. We have a, um, a board 
board member level. So those are people that pay over £20 a month, uh, £20 or over. And for that, you get a signed copy of my book sent to you by me. Uh, you can ask for whatever inscription you want. But you also get a meet and greet. Uh, and you, I got my first meet and greet in Guildford on Friday. So it worked. The system works. One of the patrons just went up to a member and said, uh, I'm one of Jeff Norcott's patrons. And they led her to my dressing room, which sounds fucking dodgy. <laughs> just bring them up. Form an orderly queue. Um, and, and you can do that too on tour. So if you are a board member level patron, uh, that means you can come and see me in the interval, get a little photo of selfies and say hello. Obviously, I'll do selfies on the way out of the venue. But if you want to kind of, you know, bit, it's a little bit, a little bit of fucking like, like queue jump at Legoland. <laughs> uh, we also got, so we've got Dave Lakeland. Dave Lakeland. Lakeland just sounds like a, um, it just sounds like a, an old fashioned department store in Yorkshire. You know, like the posh bit of Yorkshire, Lakelands, Dave Lakelands. It's actually, you know, I, I remember our family took me to Lakelands as a kid. It ever so posh in Lakelands. The butter they had was like the butter that you actually can't put in fridge or <laughs> A proper butter. And you had scones that were made on site, Lakelands. We've also got a new VIP, David Anthony Taylor. And their, their, their surname is in capitals there. I don't know why. David Anthony Taylor. Am I supposed to know who this is? D-A-T? Do I know you? David Anthony Taylor? David Anthony Taylor. I always think immediately, if you if you mention what your middle name is, you sound more sophisticated, don't you? I mean, that's why if Harry Connick Jr. If it's just Harry Jr. <laughs> but all right, his old man was called Harry. There'll be nothing Harry Connick Jr. Have I ever told you my middle name? Have I told you that? Jeffrey Frank Norcott. I I also I I would have preferred to be called Frank Norcott, because at least I would have sounded like a fucking East End gangster then. Frank Norcott. Frank Norcott stepped in with a shooter and a couple of birds on each arm. Actual birds like they were pigeons. Um <laughs> But they but that Jeff Norcott just sounds like um now I'm roasting myself, but Jeff Norcott. I, I, Jeff I always thought Jeff Norcott just sounds like a scouser for some reason, but Jeffrey Norcott sounds like I own like a a car dealership that's not as posh as it thinks it is. Jeffrey Norcott's car dealership. What can I stitch you up for? Got a, got a couple of new cutting shuts in. Well, it's actually it's only one car, but it came in as two. Uh, so David Anthony Taylor. Uh, it is good to have you on board. I don't know what sophisticated thing you do. Maybe you're a jazz pianist. Most okay, Domain Talking Point. This is where our super patron, David Domain, picks up on one or two things from the last episode, which was with Andrew Doyle, by the way. What a dream episode that was. You know, sometimes I do a little bit of editing on these, but my God, that man has got an organised mind. I just was like, right, I'll just fucking put in a few stings here and put it out. And he had, uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, do go back and listen to that. Also, the episode with Tobias Pearson. You know, maybe not everybody would have heard of Tobias, but I promise you that was an awesome episode as well. Um, David picks up on the conversation about the Normans and the Norman conquest of England. He says, given all that historic colonisation of Britain, perhaps the Danes, French and Italians owe us reparations, right? For the Vikings, Normans and the Romans. Well, yeah. I mean, this is my point. Is At what point in history, how long after an egregious, sort of tyrannical moment in time do, do you get to ask reparations or apologies? Because I still think that the French, the Normans, I mean, it's not, you know, and I said, but I just, I still feel like I'm not over it. 
I'm not over it. You know, the Romans, it's just, yeah, that was like 2,000 years ago. But the Normans, that's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Do you know what I mean? So it would just be nice if uh, Emmanuel Macron would just say, uh, I don't even know what sorry is in French. What the fuck is sorry in French? I feel like I should know this. What is the word for sorry in French? Sorry in French. Um, Désolé. Désolé. Je suis désolé. That's typically French, isn't it? They've just somehow managed to sound make it sound about them. Yeah. <laughs> Je suis désolé. Oh, he's désolé. No, no, he's apologising because they conquered our country and they didn't leave for 300 years. Okay, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck you. So the thank you is uh, for the St George's Day dickhead. So we had St George's Day on Sunday just gone and uh, happy St George's Day to uh, people who celebrate that, to all, you know, English, non-English people around the world, non-binary, it's wrong to presume. Um... But what's happened now is we now have this annual thing where there are a lot of people that just don't really think that uh, England should ever celebrate sort of being England, really. It's just, they've always they've grown up, they've associated with England with, with racistness and all manner of, of malevolent stuff, right? And so early on, if you just look for St George and search for Turkey, on the day there'll be loads of people that are just trying to piss on it. And I found one very earlier, early, where... This person, I won't read out their name, but they said, St. George, I mean, it's just so patronising. They think they're the first person to ever point out this irony that St. George wasn't even from England. This one said, St. George, England's patron saint, born in Cappadocia, Turkey, brackets Asia, died in Palestine, unlikely to have ever been to England, protector of the Christian faith. And hey, it's ironic that the English far right used an Asian who campaigned for human rights as their banner man. (laughs) Well done. Well done for saying the same fucking thing that people have said for the last decade. Why? You know, I would just have more respect for people if they just came out. Because the truth is, they know that they can't say what they want to say. Is I don't think England should have a national day. Being English is in itself is uh, is a heinous act. So therefore, I don't think we should be able to celebrate it. At least you could have a conversation. But the way that they manifest it is they just, they just have to shit on it from a great height. They have to point out these little ironies that everyone knows by now. And they, you know, they you just get the sense they wouldn't dare do it for any other culture. You know, they wouldn't dare mention where St. Patrick was born, you know, or whether or not, you know, I mean, the national animal of Wales is a fucking dragon, isn't it? I mean, I just, I don't, I don't think when people celebrate St. George's Day, they're saying that this bloke definitely fucking lived here. Yeah, he had a, he had a two bedroom semi in fucking Telford. And, and, you know, it's not... And I don't know why they all seem, seem to think that it's a, a celebration of the empire either. I just... When it's St George's Day, I just stop and think, I like living here. <laughs> I think it's quite a good country, really. And for all that is held against it in terms of being a, a rate, uh, an intolerant hellhole, it actually holds up pretty well in terms of liberal attitudes against most other European countries. And, you know, for most people here, it's, um, it's a generally good life. But somehow in... Uh, you know, in England in 2023, certainly in social media circles, that can sometimes be a, a radical thing to say. Uh, the fuck you is to Diane Abbott. Now, first up, it's important to say with Diane Abbott. So you'll have seen that Diane Abbott wrote uh, a thing in The Observer where she was talking about the difference between prejudice and racism. And then basically her inference was that several groups experienced prejudice but not racism. And in that, she included um, Jewish people, which is just... Pretty incredible, but let, let, let's come to that in a bit. I mean, the first thing you should say about Diane Abbott is she's she has experienced a lot of racism. I mean, there was one point where they found that of all the trolling of MPs, something like, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
what most people think uk at gmail.com uh, Diane Abbott got about 50% of it so you can't reckon without you can't not reckon with that fact right however and I don't know what it does to a person to have that much abuse come at you because of your race I don't but it does make you think that of all people you might be alive to the idea of minimising people's history and experience. I mean, one in five British Jewish people, you know, have reported hate crimes, right? And, you know, of course, and I guess the inference from, from people who think like Diane is that somehow their whiteness saves them, saves them from certain things, right? But the problem is, is that I don't think their whiteness saved them, you know, the Nazi death camps. I don't think... Yeah. I mean, it's just, honestly, I, I don't know. It was just a bit bigger belief that, that that she would say that, given all the discussion that's happened over the last few years, given all the discussion that's happened about that wing of the left. Uh, but one of the things that she um, that she came out with as an excuse was that, that it was just the first draft of that letter. I didn't mean to send it. That Diane is not uh, an explanation. <laughs> that is arguably making it worse. Imagine if you was texting your lads WhatsApp group, but you accidentally sent it to your missus. And you're commenting that you fancied one of the mums at the school. And then your wife, your wife is like, what the fuck? You're like, no, 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 babe. See, see the thing was, that wasn't even meant for you. Oh, you weren't supposed to see that. That little awful thought that I was having, that was just meant for me. Okay, let's have a chat with this week's guest, Diona Doherty. This was such a fun chat. It went in so many different places. Uh, she's just done a... Yeah, it just she's just a joy to listen to for a lot of reasons, as I'm sure you'll find out. So let's get into chatting with the brilliant Diona Doherty. Okay, uh, I'm pleased to welcome to what most people think uh, the brilliant comic and person that sort of insulted me on the blame game is Diona Doherty. Oh God, what did I say? Uh, there was some line where I said that I went to the doctors and they pointed out something about my BMI <laughs> and you said, well, I've never had that. And you said it in a very grand way. And then and then me and Neil Delamere sort of rounded on you. It was very funny. That's right. Which is hilarious because I am the size of a semi-detached house right now. I'm eight and a half months pregnant. You're eight and a half so months I, pregnant? Yeah, I'm due in a few weeks. So, so you were pregnant when we did the blame game together? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the way I said that was like there was something weird going on there. Like, you know, like. Yeah. Or is it like I I cracked away of like skipping the first six months of it? (laughs) Or or that I was somehow involved, you know, like just so I know, am I in the clear here? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're in the clear. That's good. It's all good. Um, Yeah, my husband's possibly even in the clear as well. We did IVF to get pregnant. So God knows what I've got inside me. We do. It It might not even be mine i got to say earlier, I mean, I've said on this podcast many, many times that the Northern Irish accent, I think, is the, the best accent uh, in, in the world. Uh, is that something that you're, common, you're conscious of, that people think your accent's cool generally? People, yeah, I think even within the North itself, people think the Derry accent's really cool. So I, I have like a double whammy because my accent, I'm from Derry, so I do think people from here uh, <clears throat> hold the Derry accent on a high pedestal. They're so wrong. <laughs> we talk so fast but the, um yeah I think you do always find yourself trying to go fuck can people understand me because um I know Neil Delamere said it on your podcast before too but you just don't get our tv as much as we get your tv so we're so yeah, tuned yeah. in English accent and we're all tuned in American accents you know we hear them constantly 
Um, I know maybe around the home and away we hear Australian accents too, but you don't often hear our accent that much on the TV. So it's so much harder to tune your ear into. And if I, I would have gigged in London a few times, but when I do, I sort of start off by going like, I'm going to give you a couple of seconds just to register my accent before I say anything else. We all good. Let's go. Because you feel like it does take a while for people to go, oh, she's not from here. It's so is is Derry, is that where Nadine's from? From Girls Aloud? Nadine and I went to the same school, Jeff. Come on. Was she Stop saying that? flower that flower? How does she say flower? Flower, that's how I say it. Flower power. <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> and you know what, right? Yeah. Nadine was in Nadine was her her final year of school when I was in my mm. first year of secondary school. And we were both I, I I, well, what I did was for the 10 years after I left school, told everyone that Nadine Coyle and I were in a, a musical together, which we weren't, Amazing. right? Because she was famous at this point. And I was like, I also want to be a pop star because I went through that phase of being a teenager. And she was like a big inspiration in Derry. And I was like, well, we were in the same musical together. What happened is I auditioned for the musical and wasn't in it, but she was. <laughs> and uh, close enough. Yeah, close enough. But then, like, five years ago, I was working on a show called Soft Border Patrol for BBC, and she was, like, doing a guest appearance one day. And I was like, oh, fuck, I've told everyone we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I hope I don't have any scenes with her, so I don't have to, like, be like, hello, nice to meet you. And everyone's going to be like, I thought you two were best friends. Um, I'll just front it out. I'll just go in there and go, Nadine, really put the pressure on her, because then she's got to push back on it. Yeah, and then and just then be like, oh, she she always does this. She always makes it like she's done. Like, <laughs> yeah. Absolute banter monster. Yeah. Or she might, I'd be like, she's, she might feel really bad that she wasn't doesn't remember me, so she might just pretend that we're mates. <laughs> it, can, it's all, it can always happen. I mean, it is a great accent, but I'm always conscious of that thing as an English bloke. Like, it, there's that thing of celebrating an accent, but not to that patronising degree where you go, it's just so lyrical. I mean, it's just yeah. mm, really... You sing when you talk, yeah. It's so authentic. I mean, that is, you know, it's such a... But it is. I mean, that, that's the <laughs> point. Mean, it is. How can an accent not be authentic unless you're making up one? <laughs> I mean, they're all... But we work in show own. business. We work in show business. I mean, it, it happens. I was just talking, actually, um, and before you, you come up, jumped on the show about, we just had St George's Day here. And mm. I, I, I'm sure you'd be conscious there's this old cliche of people... People who are English that really don't like St George's Day that will then say, well, you know, St George was actually from Turkey. And it's all—it's almost become a cliché debate along the lines of, you know, whenever it's uh, International Women's Day, people say, oh, when's International Men's Day? It's become one of these yeah. boring debates. I was just wondering, one, how that seems that there are a lot of English people that just, just are against the idea of celebrating the National Day. But whether or not there's the equivalent with St Patrick's Day, do you get Irish people go, well, he's actually brought up in Shropshire or whatever the fuck. Yeah, he's Welsh or something. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the the main takeaway from that is obviously like there's, there's just St. Patrick's Day and then there's the 12th of July that are like the equal, like that's the, you know, the Catholic and the Protestant or the Unionist and the Nationalist holidays, I suppose, that we celebrate. Nobody has any clue why. Nobody knows what we're celebrating. Nobody has a notion. If you went out day, 99% of the parade goers on the 12th and said, what are you celebrating today? They'd be like, oh, red, white and blue, shut up. They don't, they don't know, they don't know what it is they're celebrating. And equally on St. Patrick's Day as well, people, are, you know, feel the same. It's like we're celebrating this big, it's just a day out. I think people yes. just need a day out. They don't really care what it is, as long as it's not for them and it's just for us. <laughs> so they're, they're happy to have a day out. As long as we've got, we got our own one. I mean, it's just, it's just not a thing in England. It's weird. There's, there's no public holiday for it. No one I know, even mates of mine that, 
that are, are, are patriotic. So I already think that we've kind of scaled it down and gone, all right, it, it you know, it has a different feel to it. I mean, this, but this is the thing, like, nothing is, like, you could go so far into someone's past, no one's from fucking anywhere the same. Biden, mm. Biden was here last week and he was like the most Irish man in the country, you know? <laughs> He was like, "Oh, I'm through and through Irish." And like, "Well, we've had a lock, and it's a it's a bit of a stretch, but yeah. we'll have you all the same, you know." And it's like nobody's like if you, if you look into anyone's history or any sort of big thing that we hold and like historically in our in our like culture, you you look far yeah. enough back, and no nobody's from anywhere they seem. Everyone, everything's borrowed. Would you think? Um, have you done that um, DNA ancestry thing? No, but I would love to. I had um a comedian on my own podcast there recently talking about it and he looked into it and his mum his mum was on it and found out mm. she had a sister um, like oh. a, a, yeah I know and it's a tricky thing because I almost would want to go on one of those DNA websites and be devastated if I didn't find like six family members that were hidden in the back of a van oh, you'd, like want, I, you'd want that drama I'm, I, I'm like a drama hypochondriac <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would want to have like something I'd almost be like why did I spend 60 quid on that to find out that everything's legit? I want to find out something yeah, a wee yeah. bit saucy. But also, you, have you seen there's these videos of kind of like these progressive kind of middle-class American girls that go on and they're all... Because obviously, you know, people... We're now at a time when people want uh, more mixed backgrounds. They actually, you know... Yeah, they, yeah. They crave that. And then to when be they interesting. Find, to be interesting. And then when they find out they're really white, there's actually clips of girls crying when it's just... <laughs> it's basically they've... They've got the most Caucasian heritage. And they're devastated. Like, I can't have to stop listening to the music I like now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it? no. No, no, I don't. I mean, the thing was, it is tricky with me because my mum was a, um, my mum was sort of, uh, not, I always say orphan, but she was um, she was given up, you know, at a very young age. So yeah. that is like, there's serious, like, there's already oh. a can of worms there. I could be related. Why to have you not logged into that? I don't know. I mean, that is a very good question that I literally Jeez. am. Yeah, I yeah. would be far too nosy. Like any any woman would have that had looked into by the time she was eighteen. Yes. Whereas I can't believe you've left it to your like late seventies to like. I mean, I'm glad that you admitted <laughs> that women are fundamentally nosy. There, I think that's what you're saying. Uh, I you, think you interested that? is the word. Interested, interested, nosy, same thing. Um, you know, the end of that show, "Take Me Out." Did you get that show, um, with Paddy McGinnis? <laughs> yes. I. I don't know, you might, you, you, you might have had your own one in Northern Ireland. It might have meant something different. Yeah, take her know, home. <laughs> or, or, or take me out. It might have been someone putting out the hit. You don't know, yeah. right? It could yeah. have been a bit more aggressive. But the um, there was a bit at the end of it where once the bloke had chose the woman, uh, he would have been asked at the beginning who he would have picked out just visually mm -hmm. out of the 30 women. And like, So they've got, got to go on a date and say, but do you want to know who he chose at the outset? And the women always said yes. Yeah. And I was like, there is no good to come of this. There's no. a, a There's a <clears throat> one in 30 chance, but it's because arguably a bit on the nosy side. Yeah. Also, it's for a wee ego trip, but also I think it's because it's the drama side of it. I, I, do th I do think we just like just inherently love drama but it's the same even with my husband like over the years I've been like do you want to know about like any like previous relationships he's like why, why? <laughs> and I'd have been like because I don't want to know about yours <laughs> I'll tell you if you tell me but he's just like no what's the point we're here now and I'm like oh why are you so fucking calm and normal well do you know what it's like though it's like that mental trick that you pull you know when you check into a hotel room I am able to believe that that room was invented at the moment <laughs> I put my key in the door. Maybe if we take an extended analogy that your husband wants to believe that that's the same 
with yeah. you. You're. I mean, I'm now comparing you to a hotel room, but I mean this for men and women. We just <laughs> and, don't want to think anyone slept in the bed. You know, maybe that's the thing. Well, to be fair to him, um, the month that we met, call it coincidence or call it he's got a conspirer, but my social media's platforms all got hacked and they were like deleted and then I had to restart new ones so there was no history online of my oh, yeah. photographs or like even just enjoying myself before I met him so for all he knew I was born that's weird I was genetically engineered <laughs> the day we met you know another I mean? reality show I mean he might have um he might have just thought yeah you just year zeroed yourself yeah. as well yeah lucky him his his Facebook was still there. I could see all. <laughs> but 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 that's that's the point. Is like maybe you would think that if that was him, right? You'd think, oh my god, he must have been an absolute savage player. But would that have been a problem? Would that have been a problem for you? Um, was it, you know if he said that's the thing, isn't it? Is with, with women, the idea that other women invest in a bloke is a is a selling point, but also an, a point of anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, because I think like. I think even with like my own exes, like I sort of look at their their like wives or partners now and be like, "You're welcome. I earned out all the shade for you. <laughs> you are you are welcome. You know what I mean." Um, but my husband's had a very calm and tame life. So as Facebook says, he says fuck all about it. <laughs> so yeah. I'm 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 okay. But I don't think I don't think it would. Be you haven't me seen off. his uh, you haven't seen his burner account. I've seen it. No, no, we're his only fans. <laughs> No, I think I don't think it would put me off knowing someone's history at all. I suppose it's just what what they are like at, at that time with you. I suppose yeah. I don't know. Say that though, then I was a bit to me be like, you did what? You were in jail when? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> but you, you're married, aren't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Twenty years coming up next year. That's ages, isn't it? That is. I mean, that is not how I'd put it if my wife was in the room. Right. You'd be like, oh, it feels like just yesterday. I mean, it's, it's, do you know what? It's, it's a weird thing. I'm very proud of it, you know, in, in the modern era. Yeah. So if I sort of view it like a lot of blokes do the old thing where they say, oh, you've got less for murder and all this bollocks, you know. And people said that a lot when we were growing up. Do you remember like with working class weddings growing up, you went to a wedding and there would often be a bloke be going, don't do it. And then everyone would laugh and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be, yeah. be toxic behaviour now, wouldn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, because I would often like talk about on stage about being married and stuff and, and I lose half the audience because they're about 20. But then, mm. you know, when you talk to someone, you go, like, give you any advice for, for people in the room or whatever. And you do still get someone being like, just don't do it. And you're like, well... <laughs> That's that's troublesome for the, your partner's appetite, isn't it? But twenty. Well, years... it is. I mean, I twenty years. I view it like. I mean, do you, do you get cricket in Ireland? So I'm going to carry on with this thing. Every <laughs> every couple, I've done take me out. I'm going to mention cricket. But you know, with cricket, like when you get to a certain score threshold, you raise your bat, and they, you know, if they get a fifty or a hundred, they raise their bat to the supporters and get a round of applause. No, but I, I, I'm following. So I see that like thresholds of marriage. I see it as like passing milestones as a cricketer. And I now I'm saying this really hope my wife doesn't listen to this, but I, I, I think it's I think it deserves credit. I think like it's 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 a really positive thing. And also, let's be honest, with blokes, the benefits of staying married are biologically, emotionally, they're all there. You live longer, you die happier. Women do not get any net improvement in their life expectancy through marriage. And that's not like, surprising. Like biologically, do you know that for a fact? Like that's yeah, a- yeah, yeah. There's no, it doesn't make them live shorter, but there's no net benefit in terms of life expectancy for we're, women. We're for just being out married. here doing, doing charity work. 
<laughs> it's more it is a bit like that the only thing that does happen is that when you go to airports you don't need to ask a favor to carry stuff from the the car to the the check-in that's the I've, I've identified that's the main benefit of marriage for women no i will carry my own stuff at um my brother was staying here not that long ago and his wee child was staying with us as well she's my child and i was dragging the travel cot up the stairs for him and he was like oh i'll take that i'll take that and i was like why i can carry it and he was like oh I'm just so used to my wife not carrying stuff. And I was like, no, I can carry my own shit. What do you think about people who renew their vows? Well, it's funny you should say that. Um, but yeah, I f- we're, we're thinking of that for next year. And yeah, yeah, I'd like to because like when I got married, like I was relatively young for the age. I was like, you know, 27. I thought I was getting married. I'd be like dominoes now. All the lads would be done in the next few years. And then no one got married for fucking ages. Oh, right. Uh, they tricked me. No, I mean, I was, but like, I, but I, I'm a very different man now to what I was then. And I'd like to, I'd like to experience that again, like with, with a proper adult yeah. head on. Yeah, that's even like my husband has, um, I have three stepsons, so he started having kids when he was 20. And so there was like, he has a 20 year old and we have a newborn coming into the family as well. So obviously he's just like not slept since he was 19. And, (laughs) you know, he thought he was, as he says, he thought I was sort of getting my life back. And then we started again, like years Mm. and years later. So for him, it's like he became a, a father when he was basically like a child. And yeah. but this time around, he feels like he sort of has his head and his shoulders a bit better, and he can like he knows what direction he wants things to go, and he knows what not mm. necessarily what to do because none of us know what to do, but like you just you understand what you want out of being a parent yeah, yeah. and how you're going to raise your kids better when you're that bit older. So I suppose it's that again too. You're you're probably you could do it again, and and it means more maybe. Yeah, 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 and, and and also like I I didn't have enough input on my wedding day before, so my wife was like, she did all the running, and there was like uh, she asked me about stuff, but I just wasn't engaged. Like I, because men don't ever think about their wedding day, and I know it's a cliche, mm. but there are a lot of women. The moment they know what a wedding day is, they'll have had some thoughts about what it might look like, right? Whereas blokes, I never thought. I just I knew that I wanted to be with her. So yeah. I pro- I proposed, but then it was like she started saying, "Well, what do you think about this?" She was running samples of things past it. I was like, "Don't know, don't know, don't know." Yeah. And then she uh, the, the one thing like that I was really anti was having a magician. They were you know close up magic. <laughs> and I don't know about you, magicians really freak me out because an adult pretending that they've got superpowers is fucking weird. Yeah, we know it's fake. Yeah. But it's that weird thing. Like I often get asked, I don't know if you get asked this too. Like obviously the magicians have the magic circle where they share mm. you you learn from other magicians their um uh, their tricks or whatever it is, their magic, and, and they all they all dip from this part of, of magic. Well, it's not magic, mm. but you know, skills. And people often think comedians do that. You know, people often well, think do we, we do. I mean, share we, material. We, we used to, I guess yeah. back in the days of the old mm-hmm. mainstream thing, and they might argue that, you know, talking about relationships, we all know, you know, people take very different tracks on that but i just think that my view is always if you could really do that if you could make that disappear the cia would have dissected you fucking years ago oh i oh i you'd be there at area 51 mate you wouldn't be at a wedding (laughs) yeah yeah exactly like if you really really could and also there's there's ones who are just so so shit you're like i seen where you put that you know what I mean? Mm. But whenever we were on our honeymoon, there was a magician on. We were on a Caribbean cruise, and there was a magician from New York who was on. Who was on or America's Got Talent, and like genuinely mind blowing. Like we would, we would be like, we we would suggest, oh, we meet for a drink in this bar. We became friendly with his and his wife, 
him and his wife and you would be at the bar and like you would decide what seat you were sitting at he had no input into it or did he i don't know he could have mm. you know brain fogged yeah. me into sitting wherever and he'd like pull a card out of a fully formed lemon the, the card that i chose <laughs> from like three rooms away and you're like how like some of it is mind-blowing mm. but i know it's not actual magic but seriously though is it but well they the thing is the thing that seems to blow people's minds a lot is when like a name of somebody unexpectedly appears on like a window somewhere so that would even freak me out is if they'll go oh i guess the trick didn't work then in slow motion on the background a bus goes past and it says dave written yeah. on the window you go fuck it was the name written on the bus but that doesn't change the fact that that is simply not possible for yeah. somebody to manifest yeah. In somebody's brain. So, I, you know, I would say no offence to any magicians listening, but clear, clearly some offence. Okay, just a quick hype here. Of course, the book, The British Bloke Decoded. Please pre-order it, please. I'll do, I'll do anything. What do you want? Dick pics? I'll send them. Um, I just I just need what I want to be. I want to be on the Sunday Times bestseller list, all right? Because with this comedy game, you never know when someone will just tap you on the shoulder and go, okay, mate, I think you've had enough. But by such a point, you just want enough booty. Do you know what I mean? Just just when you tell people when you're 80, you know, oh, I had a little career, like a bollocks, did you? You just want a few little trinkets to go, see? I did all right. So if, if you if you are if you listen to this podcast, maybe the patron's not for you or you can't get to a tour show, if you could just go on Amazon or Waterstones, wherever you get um, your books and just type in Jeff Norcott British Bloke Decoded and just get it on pre-order I know in the real world there's no there's no mad reason to pre-order books so you don't have to do this I just I just just really appreciate it uh, and also the tour so the tour we have new dates going on sale that is now the overall tour is I think it's well over 70% sold there's um, Lemon and Spars sold out Saffron Walden sold out the first London dates sold out Maidenhead sold out uh, Bristol sold out so I just again this is this is different to the book one this is if you do want to come don't do don't you dare wait for a venue to sell out and do this thing and it happens continually they go I just logged in online and it's fucking sold out and they honestly make out like it's my fault they honestly make out like it's my fault you know how these days in 2023 when when people just like they come into your house and they ring you and go I can't fucking find it you go you can't find my house in the age of GPS. Once upon a time, I'll give you that, but uh, this really is on you. So get in there, pre-order the book, uh, buy the tour tickets, and let's get back to chatting with the brilliant Diona Doherty. So you do you do acting and stand-up, and you sort of challenge my views on this, because I always thought people that would be good at acting... Wouldn't be good at stand up and vice versa, but you're good at both. Like you're really, really great. I mean, in, in Derry Girls, you had that that part. Was it? Is it a Ukrainian? I'm Ukrainian, yeah. Often referred to as the wee Russian, but very the, much the wee Russian. The wee very, Russian. I mean, it's just very, very funny. And then, I mean, that show's massive here, so yeah. I can only speculate. I mean, just how big is it here? here it's in been it's been huge, and obviously Lisa McGee just won the BAFTA for writing Derry Girls there the other night. We were I was there. there. Yeah, she she gave a, a brilliant like such a funny. And charismatic speech. I mean, it's just it's just an incredible show. But what what is the impact of, of being involved in it like you know for what? you? It's been phenomenal. And I think because it's opened people's eyes to regional comedy being accessible and being undiluted as well. Like it didn't have to be it didn't have to be anglicized in any way. It didn't have to have mm -hmm. any sort of elements. It was so it was so dairy. 
you know, even all the, the speech, the way we speak, the things that we say, the people even outside of Derry, even, even as close as Belfast, wouldn't know what we're saying. That's why all these little handbooks and phrase books came out that people could translate <laughs> what we were saying. But I think first and foremost is it really helped to have create an appetite for female-led comedy here and, mm. you know, uh, gave a platform for funny females here, which there just genuinely never was before. There really wasn't. And Lisa, like Lisa could have been in that show herself. She's very funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's great at that. But yeah, I think with um, what normally happens is stand-up comedians normally go on to acting. And, you know, it's normally, normally that's the route. Like stand-up comedians normally have a great sitcom they've written and they're the best person to star in it. Or, you know, they're they're just genuinely good performers and they've learned their craft on stage. And then they, you know, like Ashley B is as a brilliant actress and started off as a as, as a stand-up. And I've sort of flipped it and done it the other way around. So it's sort of like mm. people are like, why, why have you done it that way? But it's just, it's just the natural progression. All the roles I was getting were all, all seemed to be comedy and... I was like, geez, it must be really funny. I just, <laughs> I must, I, I must. The darling, the industry decided for me. It the was people nothing need to it. Do with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you. It's very funny. Like, I, I, I urge people to obviously watch the show, but the scenes you're in. I mean, you are in the scene. You've got a very different hairstyle to what you have in life, and and you're you're doing a very uh, a very yeah. sort of consistent accent. Was there was there a thing with people? Like, was there immediate recognition? that that was you or you pulled off the character well enough that you slipped in under the radar? No, I think people definitely knew it was me because I had, I had done a lot of other things here by that stage. I'd done a lot of stuff on the BBC, so I think people mm. had recognised me from that. But one time I was on the bus from Derry, from Belfast to... Or Derry to Belfast, I can't remember where, where I was. Oh, no, it wasn't... Anyway, I was on a bus and it doesn't matter where I was going or where I came from. But And <laughs> this, um, this man came over to me and was all do you need directions? And I was like, um, no, I'm grand. And he went, oh, shit. And I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, you've got a dairy mm. accent. And I was all, I know. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I thought you were foreign. I thought you were like a, a Ukrainian actress. I was going to give you directions. It's like, no. Have you, have you ever heard a Ukrainian accent? Because it doesn't sound like what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, that, that's a that's a credit uh, to to the acting role itself. I mean, it, I, I think that your, your character is, is one of the great lines in that when, the, the the rest of the cast are trying to explain. You probably know the one that I'm getting at yeah. about about the nature of the tensions uh, in the north, and 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 your character points out that they are sort of different different, different flavors, flavors of, the, of the same religion. Sort of, you're not different yeah. religions. You're just different flavors of the same religion. Yeah, and then just says it's stupid. Like it's a two word line, yeah. and then it completely flummoxes the other character. That I mean, when yeah. you when you saw those on the page, were you excited to to sort of deliver those lines? When I first, do you know the film film and TV festival at the, at the end of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival each year and they release sort of like what's mm. being commissioned and what's coming out. I had seen Channel 4 commissions a series set in Derry about these teenagers in Derry and I was like, oh my God, I have to be part of this. And I DM'd yeah. Lisa McGee, who I did not know at the time and was like, can I please be in this? Can I audition for you for this? I'm, I, like, I'm the only funny person you'll meet from Derry so I think I should be in this. <laughs> and, no. and she was like, yeah, it's like, send me your stuff, that's great. And then eventually it led to an audition and I actually auditioned for one of the teenagers to begin with. Um, but like they were like you're literally ancient and six foot nine so you can't like, you're, you're not gonna play one of these teenagers we could maybe like put you in this a sort of strange foreign character that doesn't have an age um, and I remember reading the scripts going holy shit this is the funniest thing mm -hmm. I've ever read and also 
I feel like the first episode of Dare Girls is the most well-crafted piece of comedy writing I've ever seen. Everything comes full circle. It's just so mm. beautiful. It's like that first album thing where you've got so long to work on this perfect piece of writing. And it was you just knew it was going to be huge. I filmed the very first scene ever shot for Dare Girls. Um, and it was actually in the cafe that Rihanna shot her music video, I Found Love, in a hopeless place. Mm. How rude, Rihanna, because she was, she was in Belfast when she shot that. <laughs> and it was in that wee cafe, and there we were. And I remember looking around going, oh, this is going to be massive. I hope my character doesn't die, because I want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, the, the show, like, I was speaking to Tim McGarry after uh, Blame Game once, and, and he was explaining to me, it, uh, I was a bit drunk, but he's explained to me why women and Derry are, are a different thing. You know, like there's this there's this sort of lineage, a sort of matriarchal thing. Could you just unpack that for me a bit? What why there's okay. why the idea of a, a female show from Derry has extra resonance? Em's talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> no well, that helps. I don't know. I do think I feel on so, some level Derry feels like the Liverpool. You know, like mm-hmm. there's that sort of like the, the women take real pride in their appearance and like mm. sort of like everything. They treat everything like such a big, a big event. But I do think, and I don't know what it is, and there's no scientific evidence to suggest that I'm what I'm saying is right. But the women in Derry are are are, are really funny mm. and really don't take themselves seriously. And I don't know if it's that sort of thing. Like, you know, like the Scot- to me, the Scottish accent makes most things sound funnier than they would be if they were said in another yeah, accent. Yeah. And I do think that applies to the dairy accent sometimes. Like you could be saying the same thing in a different accent. It wouldn't quite hit as, as you know, the, the same way. Um, and it could, it could just be down to that, I suppose. I do think with dairy being like a big like factory city as well, the women there are really, like really strong and really outspoken and you know alpha and i think uh that lends itself to to the comedy side of it as well you know of having that confidence to speak well the um the thing about getting like sort of doled up to go out as well i mean that is something i I see in in liverpool as well i mean you do a club gig in liverpool and i'll say that the women there are dressed on if you wanted a level i'd say wedding reception level yeah just to just to go to a night out of comedy i took my wife up there once and if you you know you compare to how how women dress down south and in london where it's almost like they're going the other way i haven't lived in there in so long which is why i have slowly declined but like in in Derry, like the women get so done up for a night out, and I don't know, I don't know what what that crack is. I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe just, they just enjoy. Uh, there's like a big fashion show element when you go out. All of the the thing I will say too is all of the bars and the clubs and nightlife in Derry is in such a tiny concentrated area. Right. They're likely all in a few streets, so it sort of means that there's just like a big surge of people at the one time, and maybe it just becomes this big fashion show. Well, also, also, it, yeah, like everyone knows who you are. And 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 I suppose it's that working class thing as well. My mum used to call putting on makeup war war, war paint, paint as well. I know. <laughs> is that is that still said? I can't, my mum used to always oh, better put on the old war paint before going out for a night out. Maybe that that's that's part of it. I think that's really problematic. <laughs> You're an idea. Do you what in Derry though? Because there is like such a high concentration of bars in the one place at two o'clock. Yeah. Whenever I was a teenager, people used to spill out of bars. Shit would hit the fan. There would be fights galore everywhere. So I'm pretty sure it was considered war paint at one point. You know, you're well, going... my mum, I mean, you talk about problematic. My mum was um, my mum was one of those women's like, you know, there's those women who are kind of like 
sort of basically get on the side of the men and, and which side their bread's butter. I think my mum just found women genuinely annoying. It was it was a strange thing. She was like, she was quite a sort of sexist. It was a weird, it was a strange thing, you know. So I remember like, um, I mean, I mentioned this in, in the book. That's such a wanky thing to say. But, but I remember I had my first, I would say, metropolitan liberal type friend who come around about the age of 14. And it was maybe 16. We were watching Top of the Pops and the Spice Girls was on, were on. And it was when they'd first come out. And um, and my mum was going to this lad, Tom. She was going, all right, Tom, which one of them, eh? Which one? And she was just like a bloke. She was like my dad. She was going, she was like, I think the ginger one's all right. So what do you think? And he was like, uh, you know, I just don't think you should objectify women. She's like, objectify women? Have you seen how they're dressed? And she's like, they're asking for it. Yeah, I mean, more or less, more or less. So. I think, I think, um, I think I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mum is a classic like get, says the wrong words for everything and it gets yeah. her in like some shit like sometimes she'll just she'll say like we were on <laughs> I don't know if you want to keep this in we were on our holidays one time and we'd gotten these caftans matched to your match like the things you throw mm. on over your uh swimwear over in the pool and we'd got these caftans and my mum at the top was itching and she, her, her skin was going really, really uncomfortable. She was sweating on it. She didn't like the material. And she just shouted across the pool to me, Diona, I hate these Afghans. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what they are. Oh, that's so funny. And she, she got was, mixed up with caftan. Yeah, and she just says the wrong word for things all the time. And you're like constantly trying to make sure she doesn't get arrested or in trouble. Well, the thing is, once she'd made, I mean, you're lucky in a way. Once she'd made that that sort of malapropism, right, yeah. he's, it could have got worse. She could have got, I hate these Afghans. You can't get them off yeah, You know, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> she could have went to town. Yeah, they're making me sticky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you definitely like um, you've got that 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 side where I'd imagine like in comedy clubs, you know, like you got to get out there and get on the front foot. It doesn't mean that you have to be like sacrifice your femininity, but yeah. you you can't fuck about. And and you know you you you're part of the the main lineup on the blame game. Now yeah. that is a, a great show. Obviously, I mentioned before, huge show in Northern Ireland, and uh, but you know it was all more or less all blokes for quite a long time and they're very funny comics but obviously they've wanted you know uh things you know update and change yeah. over time how was it coming into that lineup were, were you made welcome did you feel like you had to sort of really get stuck in early they on were so horrible to me <laughs> 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 no yeah like that's the thing like this the show had been running for like 15 years and it was the yeah, same yeah. lineup uh the four guys um and it did it did sort of like you were looking at the show going okay there's been four white men on this show all of the same age bracket for the the past 15 years there there does need to be a bit more diversity within the show and it needs to reflect you know our public a bit better um and I think it just came to a natural end for one of the panelists and you know he, he maybe thought okay I'm, I'm maybe I've, I've served my time here I'm happy to move on and then they contacted me and it was mm. it was really daunting because at that stage I was really only doing stand-up comedy for about a year and oh, wow. I'd never been on a panel show and I went straight into like being a permanent panelist no I think I'd done like two guest episodes and then the first year that I was becoming a permanent panelist I literally had just had my daughter and my first like permanent show was eight days later and wow. actually what happened was three days later the producer texts me and he says Joanne McNally was supposed to be on but she had fallen sick I think and he, he was like um could you come in this week and do the show a week early and I was all this was the this was the Tuesday I'd given birth on the Sunday mm. I was all oh I gave birth on Sunday and he was like oh congratulations but can you come in on Thursday <laughs> and I was like, no <laughs> give me another week 
Um, so yeah. that it was really daunting from that. I mean, I love the way you say no, and then it was only give me another week. That's all like, I had. I mean, <laughs> look, I think that's an outrageous suggestion. Give me another seven days, yeah. and I'm there. Yeah, the child will raise itself after that. But I think because <laughs> you know you do you think, oh shit, if I don't take this opportunity, somebody else is going to take it. It's going to be gone from me. Like you don't, you can't sit, mm. you can't sit for too long. Um. So yeah, my husband had to bring the baby with us and sit in like my dressing room whilst I, I did the record and, and it was it was fine like but you you are the whole time going I I can just about walk like I don't I don't know how the hell I'm I'm doing this but the guys were so so welcoming and also gave me loads of tips and loads of advice and also mm. like I would have constant imposter syndrome because I would never I'm never as politically aware as them I'm not as I don't have the years of TV experience that they have, the amount of panel show experience I have. They've done hundreds of episodes of panel shows, this one and other ones. And I was like, oh, I don't have that experience. And I, they're so quick. And you do find yourself going, I am out of my depth here. But they've constantly reminded me that I'm there to give my input as me and not to be like them, you know, to do my own thing. No, no. I mean, it's great. You're, you're incredibly strong on the show. I mean, you talk about that imposter syndrome thing. I remember the first time I did I've done the show twice. Yeah. And the first time, the bit that intimidated me most was the roll up to record where all the lads are sort of establishing a bond with the audience, the audience. and they're, they're mentioning things like, sure, you know, you're a wee man, but then by the bus up there, and I'm like, what the fuck, what wee man, but, but what? And everyone knew which bloke he was talking about, yeah. and then suddenly there was all these words going around, and I thought, God, I mean, look, I'm not going to equate my situation with that of a pregnant woman coming into coming into a show, but I tell you what, as, as an English guy that's been open about voting Conservative, I thought, fuck me, I'm a lo long way from Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to do it. Like, and you're you you've been great on it. And like, the best way to to be on that show, I think, is to act is to completely own who you are. Because like, Joel Dommett was on the series, and he made no like secret of the fact that he had absolutely no idea what was happening here, like politically, what or, or you know, yeah. socially. He was like, I have no clue what's happening, and that was great and so much better than pretend whereas you do know you are very well informed politically so that's different but you do get people coming on sort of pretending to know and giving buzzwords and it doesn't work you know it's like you're yeah yeah well it's, it's that thing of going like because i was i was like because i realized that obviously lurgan was a funny place to people yeah but which there's is a difference where I between <laughs> so there's a difference between going like me going yeah so it's a bit like being in Lurgan and people go you don't fucking know that yeah, yeah. I, I saw that episode you were on with Joel and you did a funny test with him and remind me what it was it was about the was it about the different names of things I had, for fry I had or? wanted to test him on on how English he really was um mm. and then I gave him a load of suggestions like he had like two or false things like how many different types of bread we have in our breakfast and um mm. I had him repeat like sort of phrases that we say here, like at us now, which means that's us mm. now, but he just couldn't say it. And it was just, it was just one of those wee sort of, I think, clips that do as well online then of just like make it, make well, it's it very an funny. I mean, of an Englishman. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always funny. That's what you're there. We're there to be bullied. What, what, um, how many breads do you have with your breakfast? It's, it's, it's infinite. <laughs> I think <laughs> we can turn, we can turn bread. Genuinely though, we do have about five. You've got um, your tour show, The Hindu. So is this like an ongoing thing? No. That, that's... So um, I did a show, I wrote a show called Bridesmaids of Northern Ireland and it was, a, it's a comedy play and it was on here last year and it sold out to 26 dates and there's 11,000 people came to it. It was like a real success. It was really great. So and wow. I sold it to the UK. So I rewrote it as Bridesmaids of Britain and it tours, I think it's going to 50 different theatres throughout the, throughout England, Scotland and Wales um from this July 
um, with a different cast, right. like an English cast. So then I wrote the sequel, which was called The Henry, which you know sounds like it should come first, but we didn't think that through. Um, <laughs> the prequel. The pre- the prequel. It's, it's not even, it is the sequel. It's a different person's Henry. It's very confusing. Oh, I right. think, don't think too much on it. I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to make people laugh. <laughs> well, you're creating a, a live sort of, you know, like the Marvel thing, yes. phase one, phase two. You're doing that, but with weddings. Well, exactly. All wedding related shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Henry is just in the north. It'll tour the north this autumn. So, and I, I'll be back in that as, as well. So, um, but yeah, Bridesmaids of Britain, people can go see that all over the UK um, from July from July till Christmas, which is really exciting. Um, it'll be strange because we did it here for a few months, obviously with an, an Irish cast. So for it to be recast with all English actresses will be really strange. And obviously you have to change all the localisms. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to, so, so Instead of Lurgan, it's going to be... Just Birmingham. I don't know Birmingham. <laughs> Essex, just Essex. Essex. I mean, it, de- it, de- it depends what you want to say. What, what, what? You know, it depends. If you just, if you want to talk about a shithole, you know, it's weird. It's weird in England because there are some places that are shitholes but don't want to be reminded. <laughs> but um, there. But then there's other places that sort of revel in it. Yeah. You know, like like parts of the black country, like Wolverhampton. They're like, yeah, it's fucking shit. You're fucking right, it's shit. It'll it. always be shit. Yeah. There's a place here <laughs> called Larne that everyone's lurking in Larne are the two like shitholes. Fuck me, see if you go to Larne, beautiful. I don't know if I'm just used to living in Lurgan and it's a real shithole, but when I go to Larne, it's gorgeous. It's got a But then from... sometimes these places they don't want they don't want people to know how nice it is. It's like it's like northerners in England. There was oh financially things are so tough here. And then you go up to Hartlepool and you go, hang on, everyone in Hartlepool could afford their own house, right? Mm. Everyone's got a couple of cars, they're all going on holidays, yeah. right? Yes, they get paid less, but they don't need as much money. They don't want you then. That's exactly the point. Yeah. It's like Norwich, right? Norwich, you think it's a fairly major city in the east of England, does not have a motorway to get there and does not want a motorway yeah, yeah. to get you in there. It basically is a fucking dusty single track that only tractors can access. Yeah, if only, <laughs> oh, if only was... we had thought of that 800 years ago. There, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a shithole. You don't want us. You don't want us. Ah, uh, no, no, no. You, you go. You go east. Go east. Go east. Um, on, on that note, I mean, I, I looked at my next question, and before you said that, I thought, hey, this sounds so boring. How am I going to potentially get to this? But you know, we've we've had the Windsor framework now. Now the sense here is obviously there was a lot of ridicule with the British government for one saying that the deal was done, and then saying, well, actually, we need to do another deal, and then saying, well, look, people in the north got the best of both worlds and stuff, and then obviously that opened up the question of, well, yeah, you know. That that would be good if everybody had that. Mm. What I mean, I can't expect you to speak for the whole of Northern Ireland, but does that perception land a bit like actually, you know, there are benefits to being able to have access to single markets? I mean, I think it's not something that I think about every day. It's not something that I I, I know too much about. What? No, it's. it's you mean you don't get up in Lurgan thinking about the Windsor <laughs> framework? Writing shows about bridesmaids. So, hmm, single market. Hmm, what the fuck? Um, no, I th- I I think there's a, it's just a a constant constant battle here of just belonging mm. and identity, and I think that it, it comes more more than you know trade or single market or anything that. Even finances, even NHS, I think people just want a sense of belonging. And it's really difficult to feel that you belong anywhere here because you don't, we, there's nobody here that necessarily believes that, you know, 
Southern Ireland or England want us. You know, we do feel like we're in no wow. man's land. And so it's very hard to have an argument that's, you know, for or against, you know, like remain or leave. Because I, th- I do think most people are like, well, I don't I don't know because I don't know where, who even fucking wants us. You know, I think there was a survey mm-hmm. done in England where most people were happy to leave for Northern Ireland to head on. And for the South as well. They were I, like, think, I think people said that about Scotland and Wales France and 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 their neighbours, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a genuinely everyone should fuck. Everyone off. Everyone should just fuck off. Yeah, I think that about <laughs> most people on my street. So it's it's the same. It's the same essence, isn't it? Um. So yeah, it just feels like it's such an. It's one thing replaces the next, really. You know, it's whether or not mm. we're arguing about flags, and the next thing is we're arguing about Brexit, and then the next thing it's you know we'll go back to Catholic and Protestant again. There's just there's just always something. I think we just like to complain. It's in us. I mean, I was going to say, you know, when it when it came to, you know, that that sort of deal in particular, who's more angry? And then I thought that could be a really good panel show in Northern Ireland as well. Who's more angry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it could just be week to week because from one week it could be someone's more angry about one thing, you know, during marching season or whatever. And then a couple of weeks later it could be a, a clumsy cultural reference by an MLA. You know, yeah. who's more angry? I, Welcome. I think that's a phenomenal Northern accent, by the way. Um, but I think that prob- probably is just what the main game is. <laughs> just who's more angry? Yeah, I guess so. It's a reflection yeah. of the politics that week, and genuinely, like no one's no one's ever delighted, are they? Everyone's always raging. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a really tricky wee place to be part of because the people here patriotic here. I feel like are sometimes confused as well because they don't really know who they're patriotic for because it, it, it is such a no man's land it, f- it feels like we we live in a no man's land a lot of the time and then it's like you feel like I, I identify as Irish but then all of my cultural like all of my all of my entertainment and stuff comes from the UK so it, it feels like well why is it that I feel Irish then is it because that's just the that's the way I was raised it's, it's a hard thing mm. to, to, to grasp I suppose I mean, one thing I did think, you know, and this is having done, you know, uh, panel shows in Northern Ireland and, and a few tour shows now, is I, th- it, do you find, I, look, I, I think there's less sensitivity comedically, and that might be because of history and what people have faced and stuff like that. There's a lot, let's just go for the joke and, 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 and understand that people think it's a joke. Have you found that, that with English audiences, perhaps, that they're a bit more, not slow fake, but they're likely to bridle a bit more. Do you do you feel that you can be more direct in Northern Ireland comedically? Yeah, yeah. I think it might be just my lack of experience of English audiences too, that I'm not, I don't quite know exactly how far you can get away with it, but I know you can get away with anything in, in it with a Northern audience. <laughs> I mean, literally anything. And the best thing at the minute is being heavily pregnant. I'm still gigging. Nobody mm. wants to like... Be, be horrible to the pregnant girl like I can I can say fucking anything on stage now and it's <laughs> it's so it's it's like it's like therapeutic I'm all I can say anything to you guys and they'll not, nobody will get offended nobody will be annoyed like I, I, I the last gig I did I was like just spent half for pretend flirting with this guy in the front but pretending that he was flirting with me and and it, that he, he was be like what can you leave me alone it's not gonna happen and I kept doing it the whole time and I was like and his wife was sat beside him and I was like if I wasn't eight and a half months pregnant she'd have told me to fuck mm. off but because yeah. I was so heavily pregnant she was like no he's not gonna go with you you can't yourself on and you can just get away <laughs> with so much I do feel like audiences here in general though they are really desensitized to most topics and language our language is atrocious here 
As in like we, yeah. we, we curse quite heavily, not for punchlines, but we just curse quite heavily just in, descript, in a descriptive way. And so I do think the audiences here are, I think if, if you were very PC in a comedy club here, it probably wouldn't work. No, I know it's that. And I, even, even in Dublin as, as well, there, there's just a different atmosphere. And I, I totally agree with with swearing. I, I've always I've always thought in you know in these aisles, I would say top three swearers. I'd have to tough it out between sort of like I mean I say Belfast because it's the accent I know best, yeah. Glasgow, yeah. and London. I'm going to throw London in there because I think London brings a slightly different. You fuck off, you muppet. Yeah. There's a way of talking. Top three swearers. I think the Scousers might be disappointed to miss out there, but well, would you? Would you? They're too busy doing their makeup. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. To to go to the co-op. I think Glasgow is probably probably t- tips it. Yeah, I think a few they. Yeah, I think a lot of if you even watch a lot of comedians from even Scotland in general, mm. mainly Glasgow, they they can be really harsh with cursing on stage. But I mean, I've never found a problem with that. That doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people think, no. oh, you're cheapening, you know, your act or stuff if you, the more you curse or whatever. But I just think it's just it's just it's phonetics. It's more words. It's not. I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. Well, there you go. What a lovely way of putting it. You know, it's just phonetics. Yeah. I think that that is a beautifully tight way of putting it. Just like your character in Derry Girl said, it's stupid. There's an ability there to get a lot into a, a very dense bit of language. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of what people, people should obviously um, follow all your social media as and when it happens. People should look out for, for the tickets, uh, you know, both in England and then yeah. the tour that picks up uh, in Northern Ireland. And obviously, I didn't get around to mentioning your podcast, but you just want to just quickly yes. tell us what that is and where people can find yes, it. Yes, my podcast is called remember when with Dean and Doherty and it's on all the usual platforms it's a really fun podcast usually with comedians or like sort of people well-known faces and we just chat have a bit of fun but there's also an element that I have at the end where I ask my guests to give me a a moment from pop culture history that has stood out in their mind and made an impact on their lives Mm. and the only reason that's there is to make the name of the podcast make sense and no other reason (laughs) (laughs) I love it yeah that's the format but keep (laughs) keep it right to the end I don't even care (laughs) Diona Dotty thank you so much for being on what most people think it's been a pleasure thank you for having me I appreciate it Okay, that was the brilliant Diona Doherty. So do give her a follow on social media, Instagram, check out her podcast and do go and see go and see her live wherever you can. I've got a letter and this is from Angela. Thank you so much for all the ways that you supported me um, and the show. And what Angela wants to talk about is just how people behave in public, right? I think there's a real issue brewing here. Um, she said, I took my goddaughter to see the national... Uh, to the National to see Othello in December. Uh, the woman in the seat next to me took her phone out several times during the performance. Being British, I tutted inwardly, tutted inwardly, but did nothing the first couple of times. The third time, I put my hand out to block the light from the screen. Oh, sorry, sorry, she said, as if it hadn't occurred to her that it might have been annoying or distracting. It got worse towards the end of Act 2 when someone else's phone rang, just as Desdemona was dying. Oh, fucking... Never on a Desdemona death. Everyone knows that. All the boys down the pub. They all, we all we talk of little else. Uh, kudos to the performers on stage who didn't miss a beat. I mean, in a way, Angela, that's a sad thing, isn't it? That they've, they're evidently so used to it. Um, it doesn't matter, matter whether it's a trip to the theatre, a day at the races, or a quick spin around the supermarket. There are idiots everywhere who have no idea how to behave these days. Uh, so I could agree completely that how not to be a dick should be taught in schools. Yeah, I mean, I do think that we've come back from COVID and some of the coding that I thought was hardwired into people just is no longer there. I mean, I'll give you other examples. People who 
get on a train, eat food, and then they just they just leave fucking like they're rubbish on on the on the table. It's not like a hotel room that you check out and then at some point a cleaner will come in and take it away. It's not a fucking turn down service on a fucking Great Western Railways, all right? That's some other person's going to sit there. It's just, I, I find it fucking incredible. Also, as I was getting off a plane the other day, and you know, like, the rule is, as you're getting off planes, is you stand up, but you make sure that you let the people in front of you go, right? That has to be the system, because some people haven't been able to get away from the window seat. So you just stop and make sure they're able to get out and go, and that's how the system should work. And there was this guy behind me that was essentially fucking, like, Sort of because I was trying to stop to let this woman get her bag and get out, and this guy was kind of like bumping up against me to the point where I could have probably done him for sexual harassment. And then, and then eventually, I just snapped, I turned around, I went, Excuse me, mate, is it all right if I let this lady out? Eh? And he was really big, and I just looked around because I hadn't really checked his height, and I sort of thought, Slightly regretting this, but he, I just don't, you know, the worst thing, I don't even think that he was conscious that he was doing it. But um, then the woman looked quite grateful, and she was like, Thank you. And then I was like, Yeah. And then I had some fucking bizarre, narcissistic thought that I was going, why don't you go to the press and say, you know, that comedian bloke was really... <laughs> this thing, I could be honest, I'm a dick. Immediately, I did something nice for someone else, right? And, and also because I didn't want my leg getting fucking dry humped by this guy. And then immediately, I started to have one of those fucking hero daydreams that blokes have. And by the way... Hero Daydreams is a chapter in my upcoming book, The British Bloke. There you go. How awful was that? No, I, I took I took a subject and then I made myself a hero in it and then I used it to market my, my book once again. But listen, I hope you'll forgive me that and I hope you have a fantastic week and we'll be back next week with another episode of What Most People Think. Hey.